Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. So Vanessa and I got stood up. We did. Uh, every Monday, we are taking uh, calls and from couples, and we're going to, for about 30 minutes, do a laser session, what I call a laser session, and um, they're going to be episodes of our podcast because we have a new book coming out called It's Not Me, It's You, and um, it's uh, just creating a di- dialogue to, to help other people. So um, today was our first one. And um, they probably said, uh, fuck this, we're not doing this. And so Vanessa and I are going to talk about something. Instead. So what I was telling you that I thought would be an interesting conversation, I posted a video earlier about um, somebody asked me what's the best way to approach my partner with a difficult conversation. And I made a video around, you know, sometimes like different people have different communication styles um and that some people respond really well when you just like bring something to them and just say hey i want to talk about this thing right some people need a little bit of buffer so hey i want to have a conversation with you about something you know do you think tonight after work would be a good time and kind of let that person digest it and say like nah actually no like what about tomorrow morning or whatever right like actually tell you when they're ready not meaning they can stretch it out for weeks but mm-hmm. like give you a heads up um and it's it's been creating a lot of interesting dialogue because it feels a lot like kind of like you and I where some people are in and this is actually a chapter in our book um or at least a subchapter where we talk about like verbal dumping versus oh, not communicating <laughs> right like the two extremes where there's there's the one party the one side of that argument or whatever that is like, just say the thing, always say the thing, rip the bandaid off immediately, say all the things. And then the other side of it's like, I don't want to say the things. I need time to process the things. Like, please don't say all the yeah. things. So I would be the, um, the, ver- the verbal vomiter mm-hmm. and then you would be the give me a month to talk about or it. Or just never. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> or I'm mean, going to talk about it and then it never comes out. Yeah. Like, I think if we really, really just leaned into what felt the best for us in the moment for me it would be just never talking about it not having any conflict which obviously is not not having conflict but in the moment it would just be not speaking about it so um, i don't see it as conflict I, I i see it as okay i need to re- it's the, it's the whole stone in your the pebble in your shoe thing you know because you don't want to walk funny i feel like everything that is bothering me and i'm learning i've learned now that you shouldn't talk about every single thing that's bothering you because a lot of stuff that's bothering you is your own responsibility to take care of right and has nothing to do with your partner but uh instead of stewing i think putting it on the table talking about it uh sorts it out and also i think if you do it in a healthy way it can bring the couple together it can act as a check-in So I agree with you. And I guess the thing that I want to kind of like roll around in a little bit is, and there's probably not an answer for this, right? Because it's going to be different for everybody, but it's like, what is the line, the kind of healthy line between exactly what you said? So I have the tendency on one side of the extreme, or at least used to, to 
essentially ruminate, go over and over in my mind, stew to use your term, um, and like almost own too much of it. Like, oh, it's not worth talking about. Let me own all of it as a way to get out of having to bring it up and talk about it, right? And I would say you on the other extreme had past tense, the tendency to, like you said, talk about everything, right? And put it all out there. So then it becomes, what's that line? How do we know what is ours to own and process internally and not quote unquote, put on our partner? And how do we know when something is worthy of bringing up and putting out there for our partner? I think for me now, I do sit with it more. Uh, I just did a video about emotional speed bumps. And before I had no emotional speed bumps, so what would come out is a reaction. If I felt something, it's coming out verbally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be selfish, that can be dis- disruptive. Uh, so I do sit with something before I have the sit down or before I want to express it. And also, this isn't just in uh, my, my intimate relationships. Uh, there's a good example even today with um, a team member at work. Uh, I sat with it. Should I mention it? Should I not mention it? How should I go about it? And it wasn't a big deal, but it was a couple sentences. And I decided to mention it after um, already talking about something like that in the email. So it felt right. Uh, and it took a couple of days for me to kind of sit with it. The old John Kim would have, you know, knocked on her door and confronted her. And, and you know, and so I do do that. I do uh, say to myself, if this is bothering you, just sit with it for a second. Uh, see if it will pass, or is it really bothering you? Is it something that you sh- you want to talk about? And also, and this is the the, the big piece for me, um, how do you want to approach it? Mm. So it's not just uh, you're vomiting, you know, uh, you're not just uh, hijacking space. You want to be productive. You want to come from a place of uh, kindness, which is important to me. And so, okay, you want to talk about this. How do you want to go into this? So I guess what does that internal process sound like or look like for you when you are sitting with something? So since this is not your norm, like since this is actually something that you've been trying to work on and strengthen, what does that sound like or look like for you when you're going over something in your mind and deciding if it's something that should be brought up or not? Yeah. So let's give a real life example Um, using our story. And maybe you could pick something from the book. Um, What is something that I have expressed many times? That maybe I shouldn't have, or maybe I, mean, I don't know. What's something that you think that um, I, you know, is a pattern of me expressing with our relationship? Uh, I don't know that I would use the word "shouldn't" or "should" in any yeah. way, but okay. um, I think one of the things that gets brought up frequent—not frequently, not as much anymore as it used to. There's something around this idea for you and I, like one of our patterns around you not feeling. Uh, like desired or like we're, we're, we're right. sexual enough. Right. Um, there's not enough sexual connection, yep. touching, whatever it is. It's, it's sexual in nature. Um, and it usually comes up. I guess the reason why I'm at this, that one actually popped into mind is because I've seen you attempt to get better at not saying it immediately, but sometimes from the outside, the way that that looks is you still pull in, get weird like almost kind of pouty. And then obviously me being the kind of codependent empath that I am, clearly I know something's going on, right? Well, and then also you being an avoidant, 
you you would tend to go the other way, no? Not in that regard. So what happens for me, avoidant is actually, I would say in that conversation off the table, what happens to me when somebody, not just you, but it's happened to me in other relationships, even friends, when somebody wants to say something and they don't, and they get like they ha- they get that weird personality where yeah. all it's clear Gr- that some things yeah and like like pouty, it like enrages me. Like it actually it it sends me in the opposite direction of like curiosity and love. It makes me fucking mad. Sure. Like because I th- I think I've actually talked this out with my therapist. I think for me that pulls at my story of me always having to take care of everybody. And so there's something to be said for the way that it pulls out of me this like, oh, I have to fucking take care of you emotionally, which is not necessarily obviously what you're doing, but that's like the story that it pulls from for me, where it sends me into a place of just like being pissed off. And then I have a really hard time getting back into a space of like trying to understand, being curious, like I want to hear this, I know this is important to you. Um, But that's why I'm wondering like what internally goes on for you when you're trying to work through, should I say this or not? Because sometimes I would say externally, it's, it's obvious that you're working through it. Yeah. For me, well, internally, uh, so in the beginning, because we speak different love languages, I put on the expectation of um, what it would, what it quote unquote should look like if you desired me. Mm. So I put on you, um, well, you should, you know, the, the classic example, this is not literally, but the image of um, you jumping on me and wrapping your legs around me when I come home, right? That kind of image, love letters. Uh, if we're watching TV, you're holding me, you're wanting to be with me, uh, you initiating um, sexual things, you know, things that are spontaneous, you know, stuff like that, right? So because those are my definitions, not necessarily yours, uh, I realized that it, what I was doing is I was placing those on you, and then if you didn't meet those, you know, if you didn't trace my blueprints, then I was disappointed. And then the disappointment turned into, um, especially early on in a relationship, oh, like, are we even compatible? Right. Like, going to other, you know, um, um, areas, uh, letting yourself uh, spin in your head. Mm-hmm. And then the, the manifestation of that, the energy of that is that grudgy feeling, um, ambivalence, uncertainty, uh, in and out, wishy-washy, everything that activates you. Mm. So now, what I try to do is not put my definitions on you. So yes, of course, we all have um, a preferred way to be loved or feel desired or whatever that is. And I, I know I have to let you be you. And I can't expect... So if I see an opportunity where I'm like, oh, you should have done that, then I'm already setting myself up. And it's also mm-hmm. not fair to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, with anything. So we could be talking about whatever and also vice versa. Uh, when you start saying to people, oh, here's a moment they should have. And this happens all the time in couples. He, he should have done this or she should have done that. And I think some of it is, you know, if it's your birthday and you're saying, well, I should have gotten a birthday wish or a card or something and he forgot, then that's fair. But um, in the day to day, me saying me highlighting or putting, you know, this kind of black light in, in, on our day and saying, oh, I wish she would have kissed me here. I wish she would have, you know, oh, she didn't. And then, and then not telling you that and then allowing myself to feel disappointed slash rejected 
and then being grudgy or pouty because um, I'm not feeling desired. Yeah. That's the pattern. I guess like, so when I'm thinking about these communication styles or I don't know if you call it communication style or maybe like approach, like conflict approach, or I'm not really sure what the term would be, but so going back to what we were saying in the beginning about different approaches or different ways to have these conversations. Um, it's funny cause I wasn't even thinking about that example until you said what's an example. So that example that I gave, that was a real example. I actually did talk about with my therapist. And one of the things we were, we were talking about is, which is how I actually came to the conclusion or the realization that of what it activates in me and why I get so mad, right? When like, there's any kind of pouty energy, like I get so mad that I can't even think straight. Um, but what we were talking about is, and, and this would be interesting for other couples, I think too, cause I've seen this happen a lot. One person is the, I want to talk about it now. One person is that I don't want to talk about it now, right? So in a situation like that, in the real example, we were getting ready to go on a hike and we had, we had the baby with us, Logan with us. And it turned into, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes of you being mad and like walking ahead of me and kind of like stomping and like just energetically being really pissed off. And what it felt like for me was like, it's this thing in my head where it's like, I'm not going to say anything. Fuck him. I'm not going to say anything to like, okay, I need to smooth this over. I got to make this better. I got to make him feel better. So I should say something to fuck him. I'm not going to say anything, you know, and just goes back and forth. And what I was talking about with my therapist, I was, I was having that. We can't see it real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Why does it have to be one extreme or the other? It doesn't have to be. That's just the guy I like in my head. (laughs) Yeah. Like I have to fix this or fuck him. Those are two extremes. What about um, I'm just going to be curious. I don't have to fix it, but I want to be curious why he, I want to express that I don't like this energy that's going on. I'm curious about why, where this is coming from. So to me, that's like in the middle. Like I don't yeah, have to fix it. Yeah, it's in the it. middle. I think I, I think in this regard, I know where the energy is coming from. So I think maybe that kills the curiosity because this is for, uh, the one that we're talking about right now is like a pattern that we have. So maybe that's where the lack of curiosity comes from because it feels maybe in that moment, like there's like a feeling of exacerb- exact exasperation. I hear what you're saying. No, you're right. I'm not saying it's not black or white. It's hundred percent black or white. There's no question. Um, but that's just where my brain is in that moment. I'm watching it happen. I'm clearly watching myself swing back and forth between those two extremes. Right. One of the things that he said that I thought was interesting is in committed intimate relationships where you've established already good communication, the ability to have repair after rupture, like all of these things that you and I have worked on, right? There actually can be an opportunity in a moment like that where you say, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, because I've been in this experience before multiple times in other relationships where like, you know, something happens, you're like at a party or something happens like right when you're walking at the door to like, I don't know, go to a wedding or something. And then it like ruins the whole thing, right? Like it ruins the night, yeah, it ruins the, the moment, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I've had it happen so many times over the years. Um, for you, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. I had it happen at a friend's wedding. Uh, I mean, every, isn't every New Year's Eve that, is, doesn't your body think at every New Year's Eve <laughs> there's going to be, be a fight? Because there's been so many New Year's I Eve. I mean, yeah, New Year's Eve is just awful when it comes to fights. But anyway, he said in intimate relationships where you've already established that pattern, and that is the pattern that you are continuing to try to establish and maintain, it is completely appropriate to say, and this was on me, you know, reaching out and saying, hey, I love you. I see that something is upsetting you, that this is bothering you. I really want to talk about it, but let's table it for now. Let's go have fun. Let's be present with Logan. Let's enjoy our day. 
and we will talk about it later. So would that be your middle? That would be a yeah. middle ground that I'm not, I wasn't able to access in the moment. And clearly I talked about this with my therapist after the fact, right? Where he said, because I was like, yeah, but doesn't that feel like that's pushing it off? Or doesn't that? And he's like, no, but in a healthy relationship, you should be able to say, hey, not right now. Sure. No, I don't think that's pushing it off. I think for me, if I heard that, um, I would feel heard and loved. And then I would agree. Also, it would check me because I'd be like, okay, you're right. Let's talk about this later. Um, like it doesn't need to take up, it doesn't need to ruin the moment, right? Like the day or the, the, yeah. Yeah. And so whenever, um, you offer something like that to your partner and then you guys agree and it's on the same page, there's already repair in that. There's already, um, a a realignment. Um, it doesn't mean it's resolved. No, but at least in that moment you can agree. Okay. Let's both agree. We'll talk about it later. Let's also both agree that there's something bothering one or both of us. Uh, and we're not going to ignore it. We're going to talk about it later. So there's a, there's a, there's a relief in that. There's mm-hmm. a, uh, for me, that makes me feel hurt. Well, and also, let's talk about it later when the emotions have simmered a little bit around it, where yeah. we can actually pull from like our thinking brain and be reasonable and not be super emotional, right? And like actually be able to access those parts of ourselves that sometimes when you talk about things in the moment, you're not able to access, you meaning us, everybody. Yeah, and I think the so so this example for you for it to flip it is possibly um, you doing things, getting tasks, whatever uh, that needs to be done, and then feeling like um, I'm not doing what need or I'm not contributing or contributing enough, and then you not saying anything, and then getting angry or resentful. So if for so for me, if it's more of like desire and those blueprints for you, wouldn't it oh, be? Oh, like a pattern that, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be for you, not just with me, but maybe other, other relationships, maybe for you it is, okay, I have these expectations um, that I don't want to tell him to do, I would like for him to do, you know, like make the bed or do laundry or help me, whatever, right? Get Logan ready for school, whatever it is. And then if I, then you, if you see me on the couch or not doing them, you may not say anything, but you are now disappointed as I am disappointed when you don't meet my expectations, and then now you can have a grudge and be pouty and then same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think what's coming up for me when you're saying that is that's still a struggle for me to communicate about because there is still an internal battle that rages around that topic, around like, I don't want to be a nag. Like, I shouldn't have to ask. And if I have to ask, then I'm a nag. And like, no one wants to be a nag. Because this idea of being a nag is like, you know, as a woman... It's like one of the worst things that you could ever possibly be in a well, relationship. Well, there's a difference between so. nagging and, and, and saying, hey, can you help me with something? So nagging to me is, John, put on your seatbelt. John, you're going past the speed limit. John, you're, you know, you have, you use a napkin. You, you, like motherly <laughs> stuff, right? Um, asking me for help or, hey, can you help with this or can you give me a hand? Or can you, that's just life. I mean, if you don't ask, it, a lot of times I can't read your mind. So that, that's, to, me, to me, that's not nagging at all. But I get it. You're saying your fear of nagging is what's keeping you quiet. A lot of times. Not all the time. So yeah. for me, uh, if something doesn't, if you don't do what I, what I wish you would do, for me, it's pouting, right? Like a child. Um, that's the pattern. Of course, a lot less than I used to. For you, I think it is, if I don't do what you see or expect, if I don't meet those expectations and you get disappointed, for you, then it's not pouting. It's more like... Um, panic or this uh sky is falling it, it's it's almost like releasing the energy and verbally not 
at me directly, but just releasing your frustration or how hard something is. That's what I noticed. So, it, so you don't like point the finger, um, but you'll say something that's general. That's like, you know, like like energy and general, like oh, like like just like panic, you know. And then that activates me, and you know, of course, vice versa, and and all of that. So we do it in different ways. You don't pout. Uh, you know, you 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 grew up. You grew up fast. You, you're, you're nurtured. You're not a pouty person. I don't pout. I'm, yeah. I'm a master compartmentalizer. You would never know. <laughs> for the most part, you would never know. I get, I get, I get huffy for sure. Yeah. But I, I'm I, really I good at hiding it. Yeah. I, I um, you know, I, uh, I'm the youngest as far as sibling position. I've been enabled. Um, so when I don't get what I want, I pout. That's my default. And so being aware of that, you know, a, a huge part of my rebirth and after my divorce and definition of a, a man or just an adult, adulting, um, was recognizing that I pout and, and stopping that, you know, because uh, it's, I, I know it's not attractive and I know it's a, more of a knee-jerk thing. And especially when it comes to, you know, uh, sex, intimacy, um, wanting things from your partner, not getting them and then being pouty. Mm -hmm. So that has been a pattern for sure in my life. So um, making sure that I don't do that, making sure I break the pattern and not just for you, but also for me. Well, that's, I mean, so if we're talking about communication, right? If I were to say that my, okay, so based using the example that you just gave around me. So if one of my storylines that we know is I have to do this all alone, I'm in it alone, I get huffy. Oh, wait, can I just say something real quick? Yeah. Sorry, because this is a really important point. So, and, and, and uh, if you can see this, because she just said storylines, right? The things that we tell ourselves, it's so, it's going to help you so much with your relationship. Uh, so for me, um, tracking, okay, so for example, not getting, you know, whatever, not getting uh, intimacy or sex or, or the, the, the way that, uh, you know, that I want her to desire me, that doesn't happen. I get disappointed. I pout. And then what Vanessa just said, what's the false belief? What's the story you're telling yourself? Because yeah, this the is... The Brene Brownism, the story I'm telling myself right. is... This is the turbo, mostly unhealthy, that is going to get you to react. So for me, the story I'll tell myself is, oh, maybe we're not compatible. Oh, maybe, uh, maybe she's not that into me. Mm. You know, maybe, maybe I have a small penis. <laughs> maybe I'm not um, giving her enough love. Maybe so. Those stories then get me to. They, they become a crowbar. They get me to then, uh, and, and those stories are, are uh, they're cognitive distortions. They're me jumping to conclusions. They're not truth, right? They're not things that. Vanessa told me there are things that I am making up in my head based on my story and who I am. I would actually challenge that those are not cognitive distortions. Those are false beliefs about the self. It's not, that's not a cognitive thing. That's a sense well, of self thing. Well, it goes but, much okay, deeper but, than the cognitive brain. Sure, sure. But if you're jumping to conclusions, that's a cognitive distortion. If it's polarized, if it's all or nothing, if it's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm all in the camp of cognitive distortion, but I do believe that the cognitive distortion is coming from a... A false belief. Yes. A, yeah. It's, it's a, a... But a sense of self right, situation that it, right. it's not cognitive. Like right. that's deeper than cognitive. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so in Vanessa's case, if because I'm not helping her with whatever she needs help with, 
and her story she's telling herself is, oh, here I go again. I have to do everything on my own. That is lined with a lot of emotion. It's very loaded. There's going to be a reaction to that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. it ties with your story. Uh, and so this is what we have. To, these are landmine, uh, landmines. Landmines? Landmines. These are the things that make us reactive and explosive is when we start to pull from these false beliefs um, that have been formed from our story, being aware of them. Because the truth is, uh, maybe Vanessa was tired. Maybe she's not feeling it. Maybe she uh, has something special for me later on that night. Like There's so many things, that, but then me assuming something and then, and then coming to a conclusion that is not true is what can be disrupted. Destructive. Destructive because that's where we pull from. That's what we react. It's like our diving board. So. So being aware of that. Well, yeah. I mean, not only just being aware of that, but being aware of your partner's storyline. Right, right. I think is so important in intimate relationships. Because why? I agree with you. Because why? Because it depersonalizes it. Yeah. It's not about you, nor is it really ever about you, by the way. It's not about you. It's about their story. It gives you an ability to be empathetic, curious, compassionate, to meet them in a place of, like, I don't want to see my partner struggling or feeling badly about themselves because of their inner storyline, right? And so what can I do? Now, I'm not saying that necessarily in like a codependent way, like, let me help you fix your sense of self because I can't do that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I could give you a blowjob every single morning. And if your story that you're telling yourself is that like, oh, like I have a small penis or like I'm not, you know, I'm not satisfying my woman or whatever, like that's not going to change that. At the end of the day, it's not going to change it. So it's not a codependent thing. It's, It's important for me to know that about you so that when it gets activated in you, I don't take it personal. It doesn't necessarily turn into a fight because I can see that kind of inner storyline and know that that's where it's coming from, and that it's not coming from an attack on me. Yeah, I think we have a responsibility to um, have our own relationship with self and not need, right? Uh, uh, this idea of, um, we were talking about this yesterday, this yeah, idea needs of, and wants and- this idea of not uh, needing someone else to do something or treat you in a way that validates your worth, but more it's a preference, right? Like I don't need, I, I don't need Vanessa to go, uh, 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 give me a blowjob every day. I liked how you just tried to think about the nice way to say that, by the way, yeah. and you landed on what yeah. I said, which yeah. was give you a blowjob. <laughs> um, is it a preference? I could say yes. Pre- well, every day is a lot, but, um, <laughs> it might get old, but, um, uh, uh, it would be a preference, not a need. Spoken that's, like a true 49-year-old, by the way. <laughs> if I was 20. You would have said, yes, that's a That is a need. That is a natural. <laughs> I will fight you tooth and nail. I will fight you. That is a natural human need, um, uh, uh, daily blowjob. Um, at 49, it's like, yeah. That once like a, a lot of work. <laughs> uh, just on my birthday. Just once a year is all good. Um, and a little bit of roadhead. That's right, the key. Right, okay. Right, right, right. Uh, okay, so... If you doing that makes me feel better about myself and I'm dependent on it because then I need that from you, then yes, that's unhealthy. It's unfair. You need to work on your own relationship with self. If it is a preference because you enjoy it and it impacts your quality of life, um, it is a gift. It's not really a need. Uh, It's what you prefer in, in your relationship. 
and I know we're just talking like kind of about sexual stuff, but even if it's like, you know, I, I prefer, not need, but I prefer my um, husband to help me with these areas when I'm, you know, uh, preparing my kid for school or uh, I prefer that he gets the oil change or take care of this or take care of that while I'm taking care of, like, those aren't need that's a, that, that are tied to your worth, but they're, you prefer that because you want to you want to live a life where you get help, and that doesn't make you any less of a. Yeah, I mean, well, what's it doesn't the point? mean your relationship with yourself is broken because you prefer your partner to help you around the house. Well, yeah. What's the point of being in a partnership if I'm doing it by myself? Yes, and I know we're getting a little sidetracked, but yeah. um, he, here's what I think is really important, and I know that it's uh, uh, whether we're helping with couples or talking about our own relationship. Uh, this, going back to this idea of the story that we tell ourselves because we are disappointed or because our preferences aren't expectations met. Expectations Our expectations, met. right. And we're uh, suddenly now um, putting it on our partner. Instead, if we look at what is the story we're telling ourselves, how much of that is truth and how much of that is coming from your own story? And Vanessa's right. Like if, if I think about – if Vanessa gets mad because I didn't help around – or, you know, help in some way, and I think, oh, wait, let me look at her story. She grew up fast. She had to take do all the things herself. She must feel alone right now and exhausted. Okay, so now I can be empathetic, and I can pull from love instead of, you know, defense or saying, well, I do do things or whatever, right? So um, knowing her story, knowing your partner's story is really important, and then knowing what story they tell themselves mm -hmm. that's really important and so because then you can be empathetic you could deploy empathy and understanding and now you're com not coming at them you're coming with them you're coming from a place of love instead of uh pulling on that tug of war rope and that's what diffuses things yeah i mean I, and as you're saying that i'm thinking which is not said as a way to enable bad behavior by the way right because you can know their story, pull from empathy, and also be very boundaried around what you're willing to do and not do. So like for, okay, just using the sexual example, because it's kind of what we're on. It's like, if I'm looking at that and I say, I know his story, you know, I know there's like self-worth stuff tied up in that, like feeling desired, all this stuff. I can be empathetic and I can hear you out and still be very boundaried around like, I'm also, I don't know, I'm making this up, but like, I'm also really, I've had a really stressful day and I know myself, this is true. Like I need to have like autonomous alone time without anybody around me, right? Like I don't want Logan around me. I don't want you around me. It's not personal, but like my nervous system needs to be alone. And so both things can exist. Like I can say to you and be there for you empathetically and say like, I hear you and I'm sorry you're feeling that way. And I'm still going to take this time for myself. The reason why I'm saying that out loud is as somebody who does tend to be more codependent, I think without questioning it, my like knee jerk to use your term would be, oh, this is his story. He feels bad about himself right now. So I should do this thing, even if I don't want to do this thing. That's the codependent way of going into that part of that relationship. And that's probably where my go-to would be more often than not, because I'm all about not rocking the bow, like do for the other person, caretake, all this stuff. I think more so now as I've kind of worked through my codependent stuff, I realize that both can be true. 
I can be empathetic and I can hear you and I can, I can sit there with you in your struggle and also not have to fix it for you. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a healthy relationship uh, with yourself is, uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's where you have boundaries. That's where you um, say, I will give you my hand, not my life. Yeah, you're right? allowed to be upset. You're yeah. allowed to be in your feelings about whatever this thing that you're struggling with is, even if it's being mad at me. I struggle with that, but like it, you're allowed to be upset with me yeah. in that example. And I can still say, okay, you're upset with me, but I'm going to take this time for myself regardless. Right. That is, I mean, that's a whole other podcast topic, but that is something I think that I still work on and struggle with. Relationships are hard. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if it's worth the juice, if the squeeze is worth the juice. Is it? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in a, a relationship if I didn't think it was. I think relationships are supposed to be hard because what of value in this world isn't hard. I, I mean, raising our daughter is really hard, right? So um, if your relationship isn't hard, I'm not saying it's toxic or unhealthy hard. Or but like a struggle every day. Yeah, yeah, hard. yeah, yeah. But if it's generally, if your relationship isn't hard, and by hard, I mean if it's not holding a mirror up mm -hmm. and if you're not you know, evolving because of this thing that you are building with someone else that's greater than point? you, um, then you're not getting what you're supposed to get out of, of the relationship. I love that what you just said, I think is really important because I, I was actually just talking about this on a podcast a little while ago. They, um, the podcast host asked me, you know, I have a lot of people who will ask, how do I know if, um, like, how do I know when enough is enough? Like, how do I know if this fight is something that I need to be doing because it's good for me and I should really like stick it out or if it really is just, this isn't working and I should walk away. And I think I, I said something similar to her, but you just said it really, really perfectly, which is like, at least for me, when I think of hard in this relationship, like in our relationship, like any, is this hard helping me grow? Is it challenging me? Is it holding up a mirror? Is it, is it forcing feels like the wrong word, but is it, is it forcing me or challenging me to be the best version of myself that I can be? Um, which is a process, I think. And I mean, it's a lifelong process. You never actually do become, I think, your best version of yourself. But, or is the answer no? Because if the answer is no, like I can think about that in relationship to my, my ex, I don't think I would have answered yes to that. Yeah. You know? And I think that is the indication of what hard is worth it and what hard is not. Yeah, I think the question to ask is, so for me, um, you being in my life for the last four years, has that made me grow has that made me go on some kind of inner journey how has that changed me and if it's made me a worse version of myself if it makes me disconnected and not like myself well then there's one more question there and that's how much of that is on you and mm -hmm. what you're doing and how much of it is you know her slash the relationship but generally if you are uh self-reflective and you are on a path of growth and you're in a relationship and you ask yourself that question, and if the and if the answer is yeah, it's hard, but um, I believe I'm a better, more evolved person with Vanessa in my life because of our collision. I feel like um, I am growing because of it, right? And so, if that's the case, then yeah, that's what relationships are about. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's. Uh, uh, I, I think it's part wiring. We're relational creatures. We learn from each other and our stories. Um, it's not supposed to be just fun and easy. 
you know, uh, it's, it's supposed to be challenging, like it is challenging to change your body, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, thank you for listening, and uh, we hope that uh, this dialogue has uh, been helpful, and we'll continue it, and we hope you pick up our book, which is coming out when? Pre-sale starts first week of May. Yes, and we're going to be giving away stuff. Uh, there's going to be tiered stuff, so you know if you pick up X amount of books, buy some for for your, uh, for your friends. Uh, we're going going to you're going to have access to to things. Yeah, um, book clubs and live conversations with us, and yep. potentially events yep. and all kinds of fun stuff. Thank you for listening. Be well. Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordeaux, Lumia Coach Training, and it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.